Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we make sure you know there's more going on than you can see or hear. If this podcast episode helps you, would you consider leaving us a review on the app or platform you're using to listen? We appreciate it. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake. And now, your host, Larry Ragland. So early on in his ministry, that he was here for us, not for him. And today on The Big Picture, we're going to show you exactly how just living your life for others can lead to a life of greatness right after this. This is our moment. This is our fight. We're trying to help you understand how the enemy works and why he is doing what he's doing. Here I am. Use me. Speak through me. Work through me. So no matter how bad it gets, Pastor, we have a hope in Jesus Christ. I'm not a spectator anymore. I am all in. I am your voice. I am your hands. Well, I'm telling you, I can't tell you. Every week, I just get more and more excited about this amazing gift that God has given me in my life to have an opportunity to come on here and share my heart with you on the big picture. And you've made that possible. But today is a very special program because we are in part two of a seven-part series here on the big picture showing you the seven simple principles to unlocking greatness and potential in your life. These principles are found in my book, I See Greatness in You, that you can get a copy of. But they're simple, but yet they're profound. They're simple in name, but not so simple in to live out. Last week, we talked about in part one, the, the importance of going all in. That, you know, there's no halfway effort to greatness. You've got to go all in. Well, when you go all in, it absolutely live, leads to part two which is the second thing that you've got to do if you want to live your life in greatness for God is to live your life for others. Now, the key words I just said was to live a life of greatness for God. You may become successful in the world. You may become wealthy in the world. You may become a celebrity. You may have fame and fortune. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live a life of greatness for God. We are all looking for these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into thy rest. That's what we want to hear from God. So that's why we're teaching you these seven principles to unlocking greatness in God. Part one was to go all in. Part two is you have to understand that God's called you to live your life for others and not for you. I want to show you the greatest example. Who is our example? We call ourselves Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. So therefore, our greatest example is Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin. You know the story. Spoiler alert, he's born of a virgin. Okay, spoiler alert again, he lives a sinless life. And around the age of 30, if you can imagine, 30 years, he's grown into a young man, 30 years, son of a carpenter. He's got this cousin named John the Baptist. You guys probably heard of him. You know, the guy that ate locusts and and wild honey and, you know, had the locust teeth uh, in his teeth and little, little arms and legs sticking out. Yeah, I'm sorry to paint that picture for you, but he was clothed in camel hair. He come out of the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what made John the Baptist so famous is not necessarily that he had a great following because he did have a great following. It was that there was, we have this recorded instance of this great day in his ministry. He was already known to baptize thousands of people. Who knows how many? One day he looks up on the, on the bank of the river and here comes his cousin. 
Now, you know, if it's, if it's down there in Alabama where I live, you know, we'd be saying, what's up, cuz? But that ain't what the scripture says. He, he, he might have said that any other day, but there was something different about that day. He probably looked at his cousin uh, all those years, played with his cousin, grew up with his cousin, but that day something was different. He saw something on Jesus. And instead of saying, there comes my cousin, there comes my friend, come on in here and let's talk. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that I've been preparing you for. When I said, I come before the one that's really important, I'm the forerunner. Jesus comes down the water. He gets baptized by his cousin. And when he comes up out of the water, the Bible says, a voice comes out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, I'm not telling you anything that most of you don't know, but here's what I want you to get on the seven steps to unlocking greatness. And the greatest example to us was Jesus. He comes out of that water, goes into the wilderness, fights the devil face to face for 40 days. I'm talking about this is epic stuff, y'all. And then at the end of those 40 days, the Bible says he comes down off of that mountain after defeating the devil in power. Now, a lot of people, you know what a lot of people would do in the modern day church? They would go immediately to their podcast or get on their YouTube and look what the Lord has done in my life. Everybody needs to come see me at my conference. Everybody needs to come and get a signed copy of my book because I am so amazing. I just beat the devil. Well, let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus, with no fanfare, with no entourage, with nobody carrying his Bible for him, nobody wiping his sweat for him, on his own. I'm not trying to be mean here, but I was just trying to make a point. He walks into the temple, and the Bible says, as the manner that he is custom. They had seen him do this before. He was the son of the carpenter. It was nothing that shocked him. Oh, here comes that good old Jesus. Oh, he's a good old boy. Yeah, I love old Jesus. Come here, Jesus. Come up here and read the scriptures for us. Because for some reason, you read the scriptures like nobody reads the scriptures. Well, we know why, because you're reading yourself, because he's the word of God. Well, the Bible says he looks, he looks and he finds the scroll of Isaiah. Now listen to me. Stay with me for a minute. When he finds the scroll of Isaiah, the Bible says something profound. He's, it's, it's, you think, you know, God knows where everything's at, but he makes a point to show everybody in that room that he's searching for a scripture. And as he opens up the scroll, the Bible says he found, finds the place, the book of Luke records it, finds the place where it is written, and he begins to read the Messianic prophecy. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord, Luke chapter 4, verse 17, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to hear Heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, he, if he was like a lot of modern day preachers, this is, a, this is how Jesus would have preached it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Now, how many wants to come up here and shake my hand? No, he didn't say that. He said, here's why he's anointed me. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, open blinded eyes, set the captive free. Let me give you a principle about the anointing and purpose when it comes on your life that maybe you've never heard a preacher openly say. Because a lot of preachers, not, maybe not a lot, quite a few preachers are a little bit self-promoting. Okay, you've probably ran into a few, maybe on Christian television, I don't know, just taking a shot in the dark that there might be a few self-promoting preachers out there. Well, I'm trying my best to not be that because I don't want to be that before God because I want to make it all about God. This is something that God told me years ago. I was in prayer 
first off beginning to be a pastor, a young pastor, and I was praying for the anointing. And I was saying things like, you know, God, I want to feel your presence. I want to feel your anointing. I want to be overwhelmed by your anointing. And this is what the Lord said to me. You will feel my anointing, but stop asking for the anointing to be for you. When I anoint you, I do not anoint you for you. Now, I will touch you. I will encourage you in the joy of the Lord in your prayer time. But when I anoint you, I have a purpose in that anointing. That anointing is not for you. It is not for your hair to stand up on your Oh, look at the Lord. I can feel him all over me. We've equated God to a goose bump and a hair standing up on the back of our head. That is not who our God is. God does not come on us so that we can just feel him. He comes on us for a purpose. He comes on us for an assignment. That anointing is to set the captive free. Remember he said in Mark chapter 16, you will go into all the world and preach the gospel and then you will lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. In my name, you will cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. So when that anointing comes on you, Jesus was our example. He said, look, I mean, if anybody ever had the right to say the anointing is mine, it's God, because it's his anointing. But in that man part of the God man, Jesus Christ, he taught us a principle that when he brings the spirit of God, remember the dove in the, in the river Jordan, when he's baptized, it lit upon him as a form of a dove. It was already his spirit. Jesus didn't become spirit filled in that river Jordan. It was teaching us that the anointing of God will come on us. And Jesus came out of that water on purpose. He came out of that water on an agenda to set the captive free. And I'm going to tell you, too many people in the body of Christ have turned the anointing to become something about them. Let me just tell you something. It's not about you. When you get saved and you're born again and you're spirit filled and the anointing comes on you, God is saying, go find somebody's life to change. Let me, let me end this segment by telling you this. No greater example of the anointing of God coming on a group of people than in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on us, it now comes on in us for service. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were all in one place, in one mind, in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there was cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them others. And let me tell you, if that was a lot of churches, Charisma Magazine, nothing against you, Charisma Magazine, if you're watching, would have been called. They'd been put on the front cover. It had become the Indianapolis Revival. That's where I'm at right now. And everybody had to fly from all over the world to stand in line, to come into the television studio, the place where Larry Ragland preached that sermon and the Holy Ghost fell. We want to come in there and touch that table. We want to come in there and be where the revival is. They would have turned it into the Jerusalem revival. But let me tell you something about the anointing of God. Six hours later, listen to me, six hours later, every one of the 120 that was in that upper room were on the streets. Six hours later, we have Acts chapter 3. They, they were not laying up there wallowing, with, that's a southern word, wallowing, wallowing in the anointing of God, just flopping around, just staying there as long as they could. No, they said, we've got a purpose. This came on us for a purpose. This is not for us. We got it first, but it's not just to be, for us to be just a sponge. So six hours later, they came upon that man that was at the gate called Beautiful, and he shook that cup, just sort of like this cup here. Give me a little bit of, give me a little bit of change. Give me another shot. Give me another uh, pill to get me through my pain. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he didn't, listen, he didn't just say it. The Bible said he reached down and took him by the hand and pulled him up. And they all went dancing into the temple. And thousands of people were saved because of the act 
that Peter understood. This anointing is not for me. This anointing just did not just come on me. I'm thankful that I can feel it. I'm thankful that it happened in my life. But I'm telling you more than anything, I'm thankful that God has anointed me to set the captives free. I am his hands. I am his feet and I am his mouth. And so are you. God has not called you to sit on the bench. As we said last week, it's called you to go in. And when you go in, you don't just go in for the people in the crowd to see you. You are a team player. You're trying to win. You're trying to help others win. You're passing the ball. You're helping others succeed because you want to see the captive free. Jesus taught us to see the captive free is the ultimate goal of every believer. He led us by example. And that's what I want to tell you right now. Get up, stand up. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray for you at the end of this program. And I believe not only are you going to get off that bench, but you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to understand you have been called to impact your world and to live a life of greatness. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're a liar. Where do you go every night? And what are you doing? It's none of your business. Okay, that's it. Get out of my house. What were you thinking? Look at me, boy. Why didn't you just return them? I, I just want you to be happy. So please walk away. I'm not leaving. Why would you ever want to stay with me? I see greatness in you. Never, ever heard those words before. Everything in my life changed with those five words. I'm driven to help the underdog, to help the abused. This phase of our ministry, we feel like God's going to use to impact more lives than we ever dreamed. So yeah, we're, we're just getting started. One of the greatest obstacles to a life of greatness in God is selfishness, and the other one is offense. And they're both rooted in an inwardly focused life. So that's why I'm trying to help you with seven principles to unlock that greatness in God. Number one, what you got to go all in. Number two, what we're talking about today is you've got to live a life for others. You've got to live a life of impact of others. Jesus led us by that example when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What's the, go the word gospel is the word good news. It means good news. So what's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. The good news to the sick, you don't have to be sick anymore. You know, it goes on and on and on. So we understand the good news, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus, the Bible said, he went about doing, all, doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What a good God we serve, because he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He led us by example. So I want to just tell you today that Jesus didn't just lead us by example in that. He showed us Everything that we need to do. Now, I'm going to say something that you might deem a little bit controversial. Stay with me and don't label me anything till the end of the program. And then you can call me anything you want to as long as you call me for dinner. Okay. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. Is that Jesus in the word of God, you may have never heard what you're about to hear. Never did one thing on this earth except for being born of a virgin and dying a sinless death on the cross for our sins. Everything in the middle he did as a man who happened to be God, not as God who happened to be a man. Because if he would have done it as God who happened to be a man, we would not be able to mimic anything he did. We would, we, we would say, yeah, but, but you're God. So I can't, 
I can't speak to someone that's blind and believe that the, or rub mud uh, on their eyes and see a miracle happen or call the dead up or all the things that he says that we could do. We would never be able to say we can do that because we'd always have the excuse, yeah, but you're God and we're not. Well, can I tell you something? It's bigger than that. It's not that he was God who happened to be a man. He was a man who happened to be God. So everything he did, he did it as man so that he could then look at his disciples and say, you see these things that you're amazed by? These are great and mighty things, but you will also do these things, is what he told his disciples, and greater shall you do if I go to my Father. So he was constantly always reminding everyone that heard him, everything you see me do, I'm doing this because I want you to do it. Now, one of the things that I talk about in my book, I See Greatness in You, that is, uh, was, a, was a landmark moment for me in my life. I have several landmark moments, and they're usually not the big monumental things that maybe you would expect them to be. A lot of times it's the small, little, almost seemingly insignificant things that change you the most. Well, one happened with my youngest daughter. I have two daughters. And my baby girl, who was daddy's girl, we would typically drive to church, me and my wife, uh, in separate vehicles. Not trying to say my wife runs late typically. I, I didn't say that, but... <clears throat> But, uh, you know, I would drive and she would drive separately. But uh, so we would drive home late at night in separate vehicles. Well, my youngest daughter would always want to ride home with me and my oldest daughter would always ride home with her. So we would play little ritualistic games. We'd play the radio game. We'd scan through the radio and see who could guess the song the fastest. Just little things. We always, there were things that we did a hundred times. And she, I noticed that she started asking me questions. You know, like your children start asking you questions about the sun, the moon, and all this. And one of the questions that kids will ask their parents is, you know, Dad, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite song? What's your favorite anything? You know what I'm talking about. They want to know what your favorite thing is. But my daughter was very unique. She would not ask me what my favorite thing was. She would always ask me what my second favorite thing was. And, and at first it was cute, and I just thought she was confused. She was so young. She'd ask me what my second favorite color was, what my second favorite song was, what my second favorite preacher was. Never my first. And one day we're driving home, playing our radio game and all this, and she just out of the blue asked me my second favorite something. I forgot what it was. And I, I looked at my daughter. Her name is Rachel. I said, Rachel, baby, why do you always ask me my second favorite thing? It's, it's, it's just... You know, I'm, it's okay, but don't you want to know what my favorite thing is instead of my second favorite thing? And I'll never forget what that little girl said. She, I forgot how old she was, but she was, she was like elementary school age, maybe middle school. I can't remember exactly. But uh, she said, Dad, because everybody knows your favorite, I want to know something about you that nobody else knows. I want it to be special just to me. And just like it, what it hit me now, it hit me then. I was just like, that's profound coming out of the mouth of a child. She's like, everybody else knows that about you. I want to know something nobody else knows. I want you to give me something that's special to me. So it just changed everything for me. Can I tell you, and I've told my daughter this, it changed the way I study scripture. It changed the way I look at life. When I'm reading a scripture now, I will read it and I'll say, everybody knows this part of the story. But is there a part of this story that's almost as important as the part that everybody else knows, but nobody ever talks about it? I want to know that part, God. And God would begin to illuminate scripture to me and I'll be like, oh, wow, how did we miss this part? 
Because here's the thing about the second most important thing in life is this. I begin to ask myself then, if that's the case, then there was a first most important thing that Jesus did. And there was a second most important thing that Jesus did. So I started asking myself, I said, everybody, if you ask anybody, what's the most important thing, the most powerful thing Jesus ever did for humanity? I think 99.9% of people in the world would say, well, he, he died on the cross for my sins and came back from the dead. I think we would all say that. But you get a lot of different answers if you ask, what's the second most important thing Jesus ever did? Well, it's not that he called Lazarus out of the tomb. The dead had already been raised in the Old Testament. The blinded eyes had been in the Old Testament. Almost every miracle, if not every miracle that Jesus performed, this doesn't negate those miracles, but they had already been done in the Old Testament. So it can't be one of those miracles. What is the second most important thing that Jesus ever did? Because remember, he's our example. So we're talking about living a life for others. And I realized the second most important thing that Jesus ever did in his ministry and in his life was taking his vision and the purpose for which he came into this world and pouring it into 12 men in an intimate setting. He preached to the masses, to the thousands. He preached things like the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went forth and sowed seed. And he would, he would begin to tell these parables. But then if you study scripture, you see so many times it would end up at a campfire eating fish or something like that, sitting down with the disciples and the disciples speaking up. Today when you said this, Lord, you said this. What did you really mean? And Jesus would say something like this. Well, everybody can't handle what you're about to handle. What I'm about to tell you that I believe that you can handle. The, the, the man that went forth to sow a seed, they got that. They can handle that. But I need you to understand that the seed is the word of God and that the, the, the thief that came in is the devil. He began to break down the deep principles into these 12 men. And I realized, what, would Christianity even exist if he would not have done the second most important thing? And remember, he told us, remember, Jesus said, all these things that I do, you're going to do. And he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. So what is the most important thing that you can do? In your walk with God, without question, nothing compares to giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Nothing. Because nothing that comes from the benefits of being a child of God is even possible if you are not saved. If you're watching this and you have never asked Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart and save you, just do it right now. Jesus, forgive me. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I turn my back on the direction I'm going. I do an about face and I come to you. If you're a backslider, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm the prodigal son or daughter. I'm coming home. Just get your heart right with God. That's the most important thing you can do. Jesus made that clear. You must be born again. What's the second most important thing that you need to do? That's the second principle of the seven principles to unlock greatness in your life that are found in my book, I See Greatness in You. What is that second principle? Living a life for others. How do you do that as a believer? Making disciples. God said, think about the Great Commission. Go, preach baptize, teach. All of the Great Commission is God saying, do what I did. I came out of that river when I was baptized. I came down off that mountain after I fought the devil. I went into the temple and I made it, all, I made it very clear why I was here. That was to set the captive free. So what good is it to go all in, number one, and go all in and just go all in for self-fame, for self-pride? You're setting yourself up for a fall. When you decide to go all in, number one, Number two, decide to go all in because you've made a decision 
to live your life for others. I'm going to tell you what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's absolutely the principle of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Do you understand that that principle was actually instituted in the Garden of Eden? He said, as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest will remain. A lot of preachers now talk a lot about seed and harvest. They don't talk a lot about time. Listen to me. Seed, time, and harvest. You can plant a seed. You want to get that harvest so fast. A lot of times that harvest comes from the time. Remember the principle? One waters, one plant, excuse me, one plants, one waters, and the Lord gives the increase. So maybe I'm planting something. Maybe I'm watering something. But I believe one thing for sure. The Lord is about to bring the increase to you. When I come back, I'm going to pray for you. and We're going to believe that God is going to release you into that life of greatness that He has called you to live because God has called you to go all in. He's, co he's called you to live your life for others. Go and make disciples of all men. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're a liar. Where do you go every night? And what are you doing? It's none of your business. Okay, that's it. Get out of my house. What were you thinking? Look at me, boy. Why didn't you just return them? I, I just want you to be happy. So please walk away. I'm not leaving. Why would you ever want to stay with me? I see greatness in you. I had never, ever heard those words before. Everything in my life changed with those five words. I'm driven to help the underdog, to help the abused. This phase of our ministry, we feel like God's going to use to impact more lives than we ever dreamed. So yeah, we're, we're just getting started. Each and every week, you are the reason that we are here and you enable us to do what we're doing here on The Big Picture. We couldn't be more honored. We couldn't be more humbled and more excited to come into your home or wherever you're watching this, whether it's streaming, whether it's on your phone or whether it's on your television. It means the world to us that you join us on a weekly basis. And thank you for enabling us to do what we're doing. And we want to do more. And we want to touch the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been talking about the seven principles to unlock God's greatness in you, to live a life of impact for Him. Number one was we told you, you're going to have to go all in. You're going to have to get off the bench and you're going to have to get into the game. In today's episode, we told you that it's all about living a life for others. Jesus led us by example. He went into that temple. He read the book of Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to open the blinded eyes, set the captives free and to do great things for others. We also established in this program that the greatest thing he ever did was down the cross for us. But the second greatest thing he ever did was pour into people. And he's our example. So we're going to follow that example. And you may feel like because of personality style, where you were born, your family situation, you're not qualified to live a life for others because you're having a hard time even living a life for yourself. Well, that's why the most important thing is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And the second is say, here I am, Lord, use me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. 
pray. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now that when you get off of that bench, that you don't just get in the game, you understand why you're in the game? Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I pray for every person watching this program that you would show them that you have called them to a life of greatness. So we call them out of the dark and into the light. Father, in the name of Jesus, release that greatness within them. In Jesus' name. If you want to connect with us, all you got to do is go to LarryRagland.com and everything is there, my book and ways to connect with us on social media. Watch our videos, our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to follow our church that we pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, Solid Rock Church, just go to SolidRockChurch.com. Either way, you can connect with us. From the bottom of our heart, thank you for joining us once again. We're praying for you every day. Continue to pray for us. And we'll remind you every week, we see greatness in you, and it's time to see the world through the lens of the big picture. We'll see you next week. If you've enjoyed today's message, we'd love to have you partner with us to help spread God's word to as many people as possible. To find out more about Larry Raglan Ministries and how you can help, go to LarryRaglan.com. Or if you're planning to be in the Birmingham, Alabama area, join us in worship at Solid Rock Church. We'll make you feel right at Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Big Picture Podcast. We hope it helped you, encouraged you, and empowered you. Please consider leaving us a review on your app of choice and share with family and friends. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake.